Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God's word for our consideration today is taken from the book of St. Luke, where we'll read in chapter 10, and I'd just like to read through that whole section before we get into it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The gospel of our Lord. Friends, a lot of times in Jesus' ministry, we we have recorded for us an event that, that begins like this one today, right? A religious expert brings Jesus a question, and he doesn't really want to know Jesus' answer. Uh, most of the time, those questions were kind of crudely designed to trap Jesus, like, like posing a yes or no scenario that either answer would get Jesus into trouble. And, and of course, Jesus dealt with those just fine. But that's not actually the case here. It, it seems to come out that this expert in the law, he wasn't interested in getting Jesus to say something that would get him arrested. What he wanted was basically to get Jesus to say, you're a good guy. He wanted to know that the way he was living was right, that he was good with God and he didn't need to change anything. So the question wasn't really an attack on Jesus in this case. It was just sort of, well, selfish. So the expert stands up and he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, that's, that's not a bad question to want the answer to. But Jesus' answer tells us everything we need to know about this guy's motivation for asking. And and we'll explore a little while later. But the short of it is, this guy didn't actually want to hear from Jesus. He wants Jesus to tell him, you're already doing it. Good job. The man is an expert in the law, after all. He's pretty confident that he already knows what he should be doing to earn God's favor and be saved. Of course, Jesus is God, 
Jesus knows all this about the man, and he turns the question back at him. Well, you're the expert in the law. What does the law say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, that, that sounds right. Do this, and you will live. Now, I'd like to think that if any of us heard that, we would understand two things immediately. All right? Number one, first, that kind of sounds impossible. And number two, not only is it impossible, we've already failed. But that apparently was not the case for this expert in the law. Maybe his, maybe his, maybe his thinking was something along these lines, right? He, he might be thinking... Well, God can't possibly mean that literally, right? Because, because who could actually do that? If that was the case, if, if God meant that literally, no one would be saved, and certainly not me. So there, there has to be some sort, of, some sort of stipulation, some definition, some way to understand this that means it's possible, and, and maybe more than possible, that I've already done it, and therefore I'm good. You see how the logic has to work there. So, so the man here is, is trying to nail down the exact definition, and he asks this follow-up question. Who is my neighbor? How do you define that? And Jesus does not give a straight answer in his typical fashion. Instead, we get one of the more, more famous Bible stories in, in history, and probably, I would say, one of the most misapplied. We'll get to that. Um, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he's set upon by robbers, he's stripped, beaten, left for dead, and a religious leader passes by on the road, on the other side wants nothing to do with this trouble. And a temple helper, a Levite, comes by, another religious guy, passes by on the other side of the road, doesn't want to deal with this. But then a Samaritan, you know, one of those, those filthy half-breeds that that wasn't really a part of God's nation of promise anymore, he comes along and he has compassion on the man. He takes the time to care for him, and he pays two days' wages worth of silver for his future care and leaves an open tab at the local inn for the rest of the man's care. And Jesus asks the question, which was the neighbor to the man in need? A pretty obvious answer, and the man says, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, okay, you go and do likewise. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack here, so let's start from the beginning again. The expert in the law asks a good question for the wrong reasons. He does not want to know how to be saved. He wants to know that he is already good enough to be saved. Do you, do you hear the difference? Do you, do you remember the jailer at Philippi? If you're not familiar with that story, check out the book of Acts 16, I think. The jailer at Philippi, in full humility, asked Paul and Barnabas, what must I do to be saved? You remember their answer? Believe and be baptized. 
well, that, I mean, we know that's the answer, right? So why was Jesus' answer to this man not so straightforward? Why was it not so plain? Because Jesus knew the man's heart. You see, God has, has this operating principle when he deals with us. Uh, it's actually pretty cool. I like it. Sometimes, or I'm sorry, it's, it's something he's done over and over, all the way back to the, actually the Garden of Eden. You can find him doing this. God knows what you need, obviously. He already knows it. But he is not typically going to fill that need until you know it. We kind of restate that. God does not take care of your need until he's sure you know you need it. When I was, when I was young and I was growing up in the Midwest, where it's, you know, winter nine months out of the year, uh, my mother would often tell me to put on a coat before I went outside, and I, I frequently did not. I mean, why would I? I was perfectly comfortable before I went out. Why would that change just by going outside? And usually within 20 to 30 minutes, I would understand why I wanted a coat and a hat and mittens and maybe a scarf. Eventually, I learned. But at the beginning, I didn't care if I took the coat until I truly understood for myself that I needed it. Once I'd gotten cold a few times, I was very glad to have that coat. God does the same. And Jesus was doing the same for this expert in the law. The man had to understand his need first, and that all hinges on his answer, Jesus' answer to this question about neighbors. The expert asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because there was an understanding at the time, a misunderstanding really, that when God gave directions involving neighbors, he meant really only the people who belong to religious Israel. Anyone who was a Jew or, or maybe anyone who had converted to their religion, but not anybody else. Outside of Israel was not neighbors. And, and you could cheat you could swindle, you could lie and whatever else you wanted to them because they weren't part of the command. Now, that was the mindset, right? And if I were to try to tell a story uh, to upset that mindset, I might do one about how a Jewish priest stopped to help a Samaritan who was in trouble, right? Uh, or, or maybe a Greek or a Roman, somebody really outside. But he... That's not what Jesus did. In fact, in the entire story, the one person Jesus doesn't identify is the person who needed help. So the question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus deliberately avoids identifying the man getting help because that's not the lesson he's trying to teach. Not who is my neighbor, but instead, how do you act like a neighbor? And the expert gets the right answer. It's the one who had compassion. It's the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. The question is not, who do I have to do this for? The question is, how can I be a neighbor to others? The identity of the other is immaterial. The question we ask is not looking out, but looking in. 
right? How can I best serve and love those around me? How can I best show compassion to those around me like the Samaritan in this story did? He was the one who gave without really counting the cost, the delay in his day, the money it cost him, the money it would cost him when the bill came due from a a guy who's probably going to pad the bill a little. And he didn't even care about the identity of the person he was helping. So that, that must be the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach, right? That's the point. That we have to be compassionate to all. That we have to be ready to reach out in need with whatever help we are able to provide at all times and not doing that begrudgingly, not counting the time or the money or the effort, but, but giving freely of what we have to help others because that is what God asks of us. Jesus in this parable is trying to teach us how far we have to take our compassion for it to be proper and genuine. Well, yes and, and no. I'm not, I'm not saying the story doesn't teach that. It is a good example for us of the kind of love that God asks us to demonstrate. The kind of love that God's law requires. But that is also not the point Jesus was trying to make here. To understand the purpose, we have to go back and ask ourselves what this man needed. How did it begin? He he asked a question for the wrong reasons. What must I do to gain eternal life? And then Luke tells us he wanted to justify himself. The expert was not interested in the answer. He just wanted to be told that he was already awesome enough to have it. Friends, the point of this parable was to teach this man that he was not. As I've said, to make sure we appreciate God's gifts, to make sure we value them, and hold on to them as we should, God usually does not just hand them over until we understand how much we need them. And nowhere is that truth more apparent and more necessary than the two fundamental teachings in the Bible, the law and the gospel. You might think the gospel is all that we really need, and we do need the gospel, don't it? Take me wrong here. Jesus died for your sins. You are washed clean. You are saved. Eternal life is yours. We love to hear that. I love to hear that. But I love to hear it because I know I need it. What about the people out there who think they're already pretty good? What about the people who think that God is probably happy with them the way they are. Or even to the extreme, people like this expert in the law who were very convinced they'd already done everything God ever asked. Does Jesus dying for your sins matter if you don't think you have sins to be paid for? So, 
how does that work with our expert in the law and with, with Jesus' answer? Ultimately, this man did need what we all need. He needed faith in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. That was the end goal. But that's not what Jesus told him. He told the man to be a neighbor to everyone who needed it and to get out there and get that done and he would be saved. Now, we don't know what happened to this man after this encounter. But the goal, Jesus' goal, is that this command, this directive, would wear him down. That he would go out, perhaps with confidence in his own goodness, that he could pull this off. That, that he would help the first handful of people he saw in need, and, and maybe the next dozen after that, but then I would imagine as the days turn into weeks, exhaustion and, and resentment might start to set in. Maybe he missed someone. Maybe he just couldn't be bothered to help that same person a third time. Maybe he started to realize the overwhelming nature of the task. And at that, he could, he could redouble his efforts. He could try harder, only to fail a little more the next day. Maybe realize that his acts of love weren't so genuine, that he was beginning to resent all the people in need, that he didn't have enough time or energy to do it, and down and down it would spiral until he would come to one inevitable conclusion. This is hopeless. At that point, at that point, he could return to Jesus, sobbing, broken, terrified that he could never get eternal life because he knew beyond a doubt now that he could never live up to God's standards. And that, that is when he would be ready to hear, believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. The law of God tells us how we should live. Even the nice commands, like love your neighbor, that sound nice, that's still law. The law has a number of purposes in our lives as Christians, but one thing the law is not for is for earning God's favor. In fact, the primary purpose of God's law is to convince you beyond a shadow of a doubt that you cannot be good enough for God. And that is a good thing to be reminded of regularly. Because we all have a voice inside of us saying the opposite. A voice inside of us that is convinced I am a good person. That God loves me because of what I do. Or even worse, that I don't really need God because I can do this on my own. My brothers and sisters, I don't often save something like this from up here, but we need the law to tear us down. We need the law to show us that we haven't loved God as we should, that we haven't been the neighbor to others that we should. We need to be broken so that we can be healed by Jesus. The more we understand the depth of our own failure, the greater 
our appreciation of Jesus. Because Jesus was the perfect neighbor. Jesus was the good Samaritan. Jesus saw you broken and bleeding to death on the side of life's road. He didn't care who you were or where you came from or what you'd done. He had compassion on you. He healed your wounds and he paid for your care without caring what it was going to cost him. And what it cost him was his own life. So that when the Father looks at you now, he only sees the obedience of his Son. Friends, we have been given a new life in our Lord. We have been given his strength through the Holy Spirit, through faith. And in him, we are now capable, in his power, of being the good neighbor he asks us to be. And in response to his gracious love, we do strive to live that way. We try. But we don't do it to earn God's favor. We don't do it to inherit eternal life, not because God demands it. We, we live that way just because that's who we are in Jesus. The law teaches us our crimes. But in Christ, the law is satisfied. We don't live it because it's required. We live it because living the law in Christ is true freedom. And that's, uh, that's a teaser for next week. We're going to talk about what that means. Friends, through Christ, we inherit eternal life because Christ treated us as his neighbor. Amen.